Thanks so much for joining us today. The Bible reading for this message is taken from Luke chapter 1, from verse 67 to 79. It would be great if you could push pause in this video now and go have a read through Luke 1, 67 to 79. If you haven't subscribed to the channel and you're a regular here or you want to get notifications and updates for videos, please won't you push the subscribe button. And if anything gets said during the course of this video that moves you in your relationship with Jesus Christ or helps you in your faith journey, please won't you hit the like button. So that's Luke 1, verse 67 to 79, and we'll see you back here in just a moment. I think that as we come to the end of the chaos of what has been 2020, all of us would agree that we just would love a little bit of peace. Who hasn't thought in the course of the last week, I'd love some peace and quiet? Who hasn't been planning and preparing for their December and January holiday, thinking I would just like a few moments of peace? Just a break from the onslaught of the chaos and out of controlness that I've experienced over the last eight or nine months. Peace is something that the Bible speaks about all the time. Peace is something that we sing about. It's something that we pray for. It's something that if we're regular readers of the Bible, we come across. But what is this peace that the Bible talks about? I don't know if there's one New Testament letter that doesn't begin with grace and peace, or mercy and peace to you. That's the continual uh, cry of the writers of the New Testament. So what is peace? And is there more to peace than we think about? When we think about peace, we tend to think of it in the sense of the absence of war. Uh, we think about it in the absence of fighting or in the absence of strife. Uh, there's peace in our home uh, when we're not going at each other. There's peace at the office uh, when everybody is getting along. But is that all that the Bible is talking about when it speaks of peace? Well, usually you'd start with defining what the Bible means about peace, and I will do that, but what I've discovered this week is that when the Bible explains and talks about peace, it begins somewhere completely differently to the place that you and I might begin. And so, if we're going to understand peace, we need to begin where the Bible begins, which is a much better place to start at any event. The Bible begins talking about peace when it introduces us to the God of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the Bible's starting point when it comes to peace. You see, the Bible consistently refers to God as the God of peace. But he did not become the God of peace. He has always been the God of peace. If we want to know what peace is, we must look to God and we must look at what he created. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, we read uh, that at the beginning the earth was empty and it was void and darkness covered the face of the deep. Uh, that is not a picture of peace. In actual fact, it's a picture of chaos. And what God does in the rest of Genesis chapter 1 is he takes chaos and he brings order. He does that by speaking a word. He takes nothing and he creates something. He takes emptiness and he provides fullness. Those are all aspects and elements of what it means to be at peace. It's what it means to make peace. It's what it means to bring peace. God, we discover, is the source of peace. He is the maker of peace. And he is ultimately the one who gives peace. There's no true and lasting peace outside of him. 
And what we begin to discover as we unpack this idea of peace is that peace is more than peace. It's not just the absence of war. It is the idea of bringing things into a state of being that they ought to be in. When the Bible talks about peace, it uses two words. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it uses the word shalom. And in the New Testament, in the Greek, it uses the word irene. Don't worry, you get a Hebrew word and a Greek word, and it's two for the price of one today. And that idea, shalom, is the idea of everything working the way that it's supposed to work. Everything working properly. It's the idea of everything being right. So if you think about the human body, when the human body is operating and functioning and the organs are working uh, together and in unison, then you have physical peace. You have physical shalom because the body is healthy and it's full of vitality. When the body is not working properly and the body begins to break down and becomes unhealthy, that is the removal of shalom because the body is no longer functioning the way that it ought to function. It's not just the absence of sickness. It is the body uh, living the life that it was designed to live. That's the idea of physical shalom. Now you can go and you can apply that to anything in life. You can apply it uh, to right relationships. When relationships are functioning the way that they ought to function, then you have relational shalom. When relationships break down, uh, then you have the breakdown of relational shalom. And so it's really important to understand that when we talk about peace in the Bible, when the Bible talks about peace, it isn't just trying to remove bad things. It is trying to take things and to trace things right the way through to the way that they were supposed to be, to the best version of whatever thing it is that you're applying peace to. Uh, that's why when the Bible talks about peace and about seeking peace, it has with it, 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 bring, it doesn't negate the social dimension, uh, the fabric of society. We seek peace when we will try to alleviate poverty, uh, when we help people who are in trouble, when we fight against gender-based violence. Those are all ways of driving in peace. It's not just that you remove the gender-based violence as an example, it's that you seek to um, bring wholeness to the person that is broken. Uh, to bring wholeness uh, to the person who is perpetrating the violence. Uh, when those come together and you remove it in that sense, then you have peace. And that is what the Bible is talking about. Now, as soon as I begin to talk in those terms, we know straight away that we do not live in a world that is marked out by peace. In actual fact, we live in a world that is now full of chaos and brokenness and disorder. That's the result of losing peace, disasters, disease, and death. When Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3, they broke that peace. They broke that very good creation that was full of God's peace because that was the way that God had ordered it. It was the way that he had filled it. What's worse is that peace uh, that is broken spirals out of control because the wages of sin is death. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain kills his brother Abel. This once perfect world no longer functions as orderly and as it was perfectly designed to function. It's the removal of shalom because things are no longer the way that they ought to be. And all of this is an assault upon the God of peace and what he has created and ordered in creation. 
Basically, we have gone to war as humanity against God, and we have broken peace, not in an accidental way, but rather because of and as the consequence of sin. Uh, sin is a creative force. It creates in the sense that it brings chaos, it brings disorder, it brings dysfunction. It's a destroyer, and ultimately what it does, it destroys peace. It means that things cannot be the way they ought to be. There's no peace amongst humanity. We no longer have peace with creation, and we certainly no longer have peace with God. So what is it that the God of peace does? Well, the God of peace rolls up his sleeves, gets his hands and his arms dirty in this world, and he begins to become involved in the problem. You see, the God who is the source of peace, the God who makes peace, and the God who is the giver of peace, he brings peace through reconciliation. He recognizes the disorder that takes place outside of us because of the broken relationships, because peace has been removed. So we have disorder with our relationships with people, but God recognizes fundamentally that this disorder is something that takes place inside of us, that we have a broken relationship with him. And so the God of peace comes into this world and he makes peace with our souls by reconciling the world, by reconciling you to himself. How does he do that? Well, he does that by sending Jesus you see, that's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about God reconciling the world to himself through Jesus. But it's ultimately not about the birth of Jesus. It's about the death of Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, we read these words of Zechariah. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, to which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Now, Zechariah was talking here about John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for Jesus. But you see, the whole story of all of history is the story of how God is restoring and reconciling all things and returning all things to the state of peace that existed at first and that exists in Him. So this idea of God reconciling and bringing peace is demonstrated most clearly when Jesus was on earth. When we look and see what He did and not just what He taught, Jesus comes and he heals disease to show that he is the one who can properly deal with the root cause of sin. If he can fix the fruit, then he can fix the root. The God of peace shows himself by bringing order uh, through healing. He also calms disaster. We see this in his nature miracles when he calms the storm and he says to the storm, quiet, be still. And not only does the storm disappear, but the sea goes completely calm and glassy. And you know, if you've ever been to the beach after a roaring southeaster, even if there's no wind, uh, the sea is just chaos. Jesus comes and by a word, the same way that God did it at creation, he brings peace where there was chaos. He also raises the dead. Jesus has the power over death. He brings peace. 
Death is our greatest enemy. Death is the greatest disruptor of peace. Death is the primary consequence of our breaking of peace with God. And so Jesus raises the dead, and he himself is raised from the dead. He pays for sin by his death. Jesus, we're told, makes peace through the, his blood shed on the cross. And so he reconciles all things to God, all people to God through his death. Now don't miss the irony here. Irony here. There, peace comes through death. And peace comes through one of the most violent deaths that you'll ever read about when Jesus was nailed to a cross. That is how God makes peace through Jesus. When we were rebels, when we broke the peace, when we alienated ourselves from God, Jesus comes into the world, God sends his only son whom he loves to bring us to God by removing the sin that broke the peace and broke the relationship that we had with God in the first place. That is how God, Jesus and God through Jesus is reconciling things back to the state that they were at the beginning of the world when God created it and he declared it was very good and everything was how it ought to be and there was shalom. So, God is the God of peace. He is the source. He is the maker. And as a result, he is the giver. The peace that is on offer that we enjoy is the result of the peace that God has made. So, what does this look like in our lives? Well, let me make a couple of comments in closing. Number one, God is at work in the world to make all things new. Disorder was dealt with at the cross. The full effect of this will only be revealed at the end of the age. But that means that when you are feeling the effects of disorder and disaster and disease and death and pain, you need to remember that the God of peace is actively working to make all things new and to bring peace. What God does is linked to who God is. So take comfort in this truth that even as things on the ground may appear to be unraveling, God is at work. Number two, do not forget that your greatest need is peace. This is true both in this life and in the life to come. Don't let the beauty of the gospel of peace fade in your eyes. Cherish it daily. And just to show how easy it is for peace to become dulled, bear with me for a moment. In Romans chapter 1, we read, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 1 verse 3, Grace and peace to you. Ephesians 1 verse 2, grace and peace to you. Philippians, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 verse 2, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. 1 Thessalonians 1, grace and peace to you. 2 Thessalonians 1, grace and peace to you. 1 Timothy 1, Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1, mercy and peace. Titus 1 verse 4, grace and peace. 
Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who the through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that great shepherd of the sheep, he brings you peace. James chapter 3, verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do not let the beauty of the gospel of peace fade in your eyes. Do not let peace become a cliche word. It is one of the greatest blessings and privileges that we have as Christians. Which takes me thirdly to the reality that God makes peace and then he makes his people that he is at peace with to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. What does James say? James chapter 3 verse 18. Read it again. He says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So that means this, we are to pursue peace with all people because God has made peace with us. God, we love because God loved us first. We pursue peace because God pursued peace with us first. That means that we are to create environments of peace in our homes, in our lives, in our workplaces. We're not just looking to remove fighting or remove strife or to remove friction. We're actually looking to drive peace uh, to its end point, where relationships are the way that they ought to be. You see, God didn't um, just bring about the absence of sin. He replaced uh, the removal of sin with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So the Bible often talks about uh, and puts peace and righteousness together. And what is righteousness? Well, it's the complete opposite of what is sin. So when God makes peace with us, he deals with sin and he makes us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that when we are peacemakers, it's not just that we're making peace when our children are fighting. It's not just that we go and make peace when we're in a broken relationship with someone. It's that we go even further than that and we're seeking to bring peace. So we don't just do it when things are bad, we do it to take things to the place that God wants them to be. We reweave the fabric of society as Christians as we seek peace and as we bring peace, as we make peace in this world and in our lives. We no longer get to hold grudges or act vindictively or let things simmer or nurture bitterness. You are a child of peace. You serve the God of peace. And so make peace, bring peace, be a peacemaker, but look at the world around you, look at the relationships around you, and ask yourselves, are these the way they ought to be, or could they be so much better? You wanna think about it another way? Jesus called us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We bring peace when we love others the same way that we love ourselves. When we stop looking to our own selfishness and our own self-interests and we look for the good and the best of others and we seek their good, we seek their well-being, we seek not only their reconciling their, their own relationship with God, 
but what is best for them. And so we will bring peace to the community that we live in when we seek, when we strive for that. Number four, you can feel peace from God because you have peace with Number four, you can feel peace from Number four, you can feel peace with Number four, you can feel peace from God because you have peace with God. Objective peace is abiding and it doesn't fluctuate. But subjective peace goes up and down based upon how we react to circumstances or how we are feeling. The objective peace that is earned through the gospel informs and gives shapes to the way that we feel. So I can tell you that you have been forgiven and you can know that you have been forgiven and you can read in God's word that you have been forgiven. That's objective peace. But that has to inform the way you feel because you might not always feel at peace with God. Because of Jesus, God has declared that if you have put your faith and trust in him, if you've repented of your sins, that you are at peace with him. And so let that objective peace inform your subjective peace so that you really do feel it and those waves of peace wash over you. You can feel peace with God because you have peace with God. And number five, if you do not know this God of peace, know that you can today. He has made peace. He offers peace. He brings peace because he is the source of peace. He is the God of peace. That is his character and his nature. He wants to be at peace with you. Are you willing to lay down your weapons? Are you willing to put aside yourself? He is inviting you to cease your opposition, to cease your war against him, to finally find the peace that you have been looking for all your life. If you will turn from sin and turn to him in faith and trust, he will accept you and you will enjoy this God of peace in this relationship in both this lifetime and in the life to come. You can know peace because he has offered it, and you can feel it. Friends, peace will not be found outside of yourself in the pursuit of something in this world. Peace is only found in the one who brings peace. True and lasting peace is only found in a relationship with God. And so will you come to him today and find peace for your soul, find reconciliation and restoration for all eternity. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made peace with us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to carry that peace into this world as your emissaries and that we would be peacemakers in all situations. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.